Hello and welcome to this Endo Life episode 145. I'm Jessica Duffin. I'm an endo warrior, an endo health coach, and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. As always, this podcast is here for educational purposes only. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to give a shout out to my lovely sponsors at BU. And I wanted to tell you about their new bath bombs, which are naturally made and contain beautiful essential oils. And their peppermint and eucalyptus essential oils um, bath bomb is doing so well right now with endometriosis community. They're getting loads of feedback about it. And, you know, if you love the patches themselves you're going to love the bath bombs because essentially it's (laughs) the patch in a bath bomb um so you know if you're on your period or if you're in pain you could have a bath with some of the bath bombs or one of them I don't know you could have multiple if you want um and then yeah get out the bath maybe rub in some cbd balm and put your patch on top, which is um, what a lot of people are feeding back that they're doing. So um, I would love to do that, but um, I don't have a bath, so I can't. But if you have a bath, um, then, you know, I think these new bath bombs could be a lovely way to help alleviate some of your pain. So if you'd like to check them out, you can go to BU, which is buonline.co.uk, and you can also order them from anywhere in the world on cultbeauty.co.uk and they deliver worldwide. Okay, so thank you so much guys for bearing with me last week uh, with shingles. I am on day seven, I think, of medication and my pain is so much better. The rash is starting to clear up. I still feel rough, but um, nowhere near um, as bad as I was feeling last week, but I, I seem, seem to be getting fluey every now and then, but other than that, um, I'm doing well. So thank you for bearing with me. Um, I was just trying to get through each day as they came last week. So today is finally another SIBO update from me. I've got my test results back, so I wanted to wait to get them back before I recorded. And I actually wrote a whole transcript out um and my laptop keep crash keeps crashing at the moment and it com- deleted a massive trunk so I'm going to be freestyling some of this so yeah I don't know expect to me to mess up more often than usual okay so last time I did a SIBO update I was on the elemental diet for the second time and the first time round had reduced my SIBO levels by about half. I think from memory, I think they'd gone from 60 parts per million to 30 parts per million or somewhere around that. And I wanted to do an update because I have some very exciting news. I am potentially negative for SIBO. Yes, potentially. And I'll explain what I mean when we get to the SIBO test results. But for now, so you kind of understand the context, I'm going to take you through my experience with the rest of the elemental diet And then my experience with trying SIBO antibiotics for the first time and my struggles with the biphasic diet. So I'm just going to take you through the rest of my treatment, how that went, and then we'll get to the test results and the next steps. So the second round of the elemental diet went really well. I actually did it for the full three weeks because after the kind of slight disappointment of the last round and realizing, you know, I was actually a tough case and it hadn't 
reduced my numbers as much as I wanted to. I wanted to give it my best shot. I just kind of thought mm, two weeks clearly doesn't cut it for me. So I wanted to do the three weeks. And honestly, I haven't felt that well since I did it in the sense of I felt really, really well on the elemental diet, the third elemental, the second elemental diet for the three weeks. But I haven't felt that level of just feeling so good since then. Um, as long as I stuck to the measurements that I'd worked out in the um, at the end of the first round, you know, I found like the measurements that worked really well for my blood sugar. And as long as I sipped it carefully and across the two hours and I made sure I timed my meals right so I wasn't like having um, low blood sugar or spikes, I felt great. As long as I was doing those things, I felt great. I had hardly any yearnings for food. I was really looking forward to the day that I could eat. I kind of planned a whole thing around it, but I wasn't on a day-to-day -day basis. I, I wasn't like kind of clawing at my skin, wanting like food. I wasn't going crazy. I felt laser focused. I was sharp. I was energized. I was positive. Uh, I was really able to just I just felt so much clarity um, and really like a fog had lifted. I just felt better than I had in years, which was surprising because I've improved so dramatically in this in the last, say, seven or so years with managing endo. And this just goes like went to show me that, you know, it just showed me how much SIBO, leaky gut and histamine intolerance have still been affecting me and how much better I could feel on top of how, you know, how much I've already improved with endo. But by the third week, I started getting some bloating. And I was also dealing with that film on my mouth and furry teeth that I talked about the first time I did the elemental diet. So I was thinking my mouth microbiome was changing from the simple sugars, or maybe there was candida had developed there. And in terms of my bloating, I was taking magnesium citrate to ensure I was still having daily bowel movements because I wanted to make sure I was still eliminating estrogen every day and I was still eliminating the toxins that were coming off the SIBO as it died. Um, but it is possible I was taking too much as it can cause cramping and bloating, both of which I was starting to have. So I might have been taking too much than I needed to take or that I had that I was able to tolerate. So anyway, I finished up with the diet and then the next day I did my test. But I realized too late that I had taken my magnesium citrate the day before the test, which as a laxative, you're not supposed to do. Um, so I had a bit of a panic and spoke to some of my colleagues, but we all decided that as long as I didn't have diarrhea during the test as a result of the laxative, that I should be okay. This doesn't mean it's okay to take a laxative during your prep diet for the SIBO test, guys. It's not, um, and it could really screw up your results. But I was just on autopilot. I'd been using magnesium citrate like every day for three weeks. It was just part of my shake. And I was so used to taking it that I just automatically put it in my shake without thinking and only realized once I had drunk it and it was too late. Normally when I do the SIBO diet, I do a full day of the prep diet. Uh, when I do the SIBO test, I do the full day of the prep diet. So in when I'm in that mode, I'm like, cool, I'm on the SIBO prep diet. I know what not to take. But because I was still, you don't need to do the prep diet when you're on the ele uh, elemental diet. You just go straight from the elemental diet to the test the next day. And I guess because of that, it just kind of threw me a little bit. 
So normally I would have delayed the test, but I couldn't do the test any later that week because the test company that I was using at the time, they asked you to do the test on Monday to Wednesday in order for it to, when you send it back, to ensure it arrives um, at the lab before the weekend. But uh, I was already testing on Wednesday, so I would have to wait to the following Monday to do the test. And I didn't want, I was worried because I was a tough case, I was worried that I was rapidly relapsing between treatment rounds. If I did rapidly relapse, I wouldn't know whether I just relapsed or whether the elemental diet hadn't worked, say if my test results came back and my my SIBO was the same as it had been or it was higher. I wouldn't have known if it was a relapse or the elemental diet. I really wanted to see whether the elemental diet had done anything. Um, and I just thought, well, you know, if the test results come back skewed from the laxative, so say the laxative could basically move the, the solution through my gut too quickly. So I was like, okay, if that is the case, then I'm just going to have to do the test again. I'm just going to have to swallow the money and do it again. So anyway, I did the test. And then that day I had, like following the test, I had decided to basically indulge a bit in a SIBO friendly way. Um, the first time I came off the elemental diet, I transitioned onto a normal SIBO diet slowly. So this is something that's advised if SIBO patients are sensitive. So maybe the first day post elemental diet, you only eat clear broth and meat. The next day, some broth with a little low FODMAP veggies. And the next day, you might add some low FODMAP fruit on top. And then you go into a full SIBO diet after that. So you're slowly getting your stomach used to taking solid food. But after the first round, I, I did do that to a degree, but um, I transitioned really quickly. I was fine. And my gut just felt completely like it didn't feel improved. It just felt normal. It just felt my normal. So um, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to try this time. I'm just going to try going straight on to a SIBO um, type diet. Then I've tried both ways. Uh, and what I did is I knew I was going to do the biphasic diet. So the biphasic and the SIBO diets, uh, sorry, the biphasic and the SIBO specific food guide, those two are SIBO diets specifically. They're made for SIBO diets. And so is the cedar cyanide diet actually, but it's just, it's not as effective. It's not as restrictive, but any low carb diet, um, paleo or low FODMAP, there are a few others. Those are they're helpful for SIBO. They are low FODMAP, they are low carb, so you can use those instead. But if you just feel like they're not as effective, if you're not having as much, if you're still like having quite reactive symptoms, then you may be better off a biphasic. And I wanted to do the biphasic because it's designed for SIBO, it's the most effective. But the low FODMAP is considered as an option. So I was like, okay. And it's the most kind of other than the paleo, it's one of the most expansive, expansive ones. So I was like, okay, I'm going to eat the foods that I want on the first day post-elemental diet, and I'm going to make it all low FODMAP. So what I basically did is I put, I cooked a bunch of healthy-ish low FODMAP takeaways, <laughs> essentially, um, and celebrated coming off the elemental diet in bed with movies all day and kind of just healthy junk food. But I could hardly finish the food. I literally cooked everything from scratch this morning. I put loads of effort into it. 
Um, I made like a low FODMAP grain-free, gluten-free pizza and a, a garlic bread. And I could hardly finish a slice. Like I literally was struggling to get through one slice. I was so full and bloated. And this doesn't happen to me. Like I, my stomach's like an endless pit. Like I can eat very big meals and I was really, really full. I just, I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. So I barely ate any of my food. And originally the plan was the next day I would go straight into the low histamine biphasic diet. But the next day I woke up and I just felt really deprived and a bit gutted that I'd put all of this work into this diet, uh, into the food prep. And then I hadn't eaten it and I hadn't really got to taste it or enjoy it because I barely could eat any of it. And we'd basically put it all in the freezer because there was so much food left. So it was there, tempting me. It was in the freezer. So I decided, okay, I'm going to do another day. I'm just going to eat the leftover stuff that's there. And I'll start the next day. Then the next day, weirdly enough, I had a couple of deliveries come through from different people of gifts, of food and drink. And it was stuff that I loved. It was like my favorite stuff. And it was stuff that I hadn't had in ages because of histamine or um, the SIBO diet. And I was like, oh my God, how can I, how can I not have like, you know, a little bit of these things. So I used up some of the leftovers again. And then I, and I, I had some of these foods and I was like, okay, I'll start again the next day. And then just by the next day, I had just kind of gotten into a bad habit. Um, you know, I'd had a little bit of sugar. I'd had caffeine. Uh, that was the main thing I was excited about. Um, I was like, I'm going to allow myself to have one cup of tea, just one cup of tea um, for one day. And then I'll go, you know, I'll go straight on to the low histamine because obviously tea, coffee, those kind of things, even decaf, they can raise histamine levels. So, and they're not good for the bladder. But you guys, I've talked about this before, and I think it's to do with kind of, I've, I've never had it tested, but what I suspect is low cortisol. Um, and I feel like my cortisol drops. I've talked about this in the HPA axis dysfunction episode, but um, I feel like my cortisol was recovering and then it dropped again when I did um, the course the first time round, when I released it the first time round. And because I am the type of person who defaults to stress quite easily, I think my cortisol is very susceptible to going high and then dropping very low. And so when someone does struggle with low cortisol, they can fall into a caffeine habit or um, a habit of having sugar or refined carbs, anything that gets their energy up gives them a bit of a boost. And I find it just doesn't take me much to fall into a habit of getting stuck into drinking caffeine. Um, and normally I can snap out of it by like two weeks before my period. I'm like, oh no, Jess, come on. You're going to have a really bad period if you keep drinking this caffeine, like stop. And I can snap out of it. But as you'll kind of come to learn, I couldn't, I couldn't snap out of this. And so basically I'd had on these days where I was still like enjoying low FODMAP foods and a couple of indulgences, I was, I was like having tea 
And so by the time, like, I don't know, three or four days later, I was like, okay, I'm going to go back on, I'm going to go on back onto the biphasic now. I just couldn't. I just, just, I just had hit this brick wall and my willpower is normally really good with these situations, but I am human and also willpower is is limited. Like it's been shown to be limited in the research. Like if we have too much temptation around us, if we're trying to control too much, if we're having to exert our willpower in different areas, basically a ball is going to drop. And I had been, you know, I'd been working on treating my SIBO since October. I hadn't been doing um, a SIBO diet. Um, because I knew that I was probably going to be treating for a long time. So I didn't want to start a SIBO diet until I had come to the end of my treatment. Cause that's like the minimum at a minimum, you need to be on a SIBO diet by the time you finish your treatment and eradicated the SIBO to prevent relapse. So that was what my plan was. And that's why I started the biphasic diet before the second round of elemental diet. Cause I thought I was going to have the all clear. So after the first round of the elemental diet, I was like, right, that's going to be all clear. I'll move on to the biphasic, but obviously it wasn't. Um, and just to be clear, guys, by the way, the SIBO biphasic diet, it was actually designed to do before you start treatment. That's originally how Dr. Jacoby designed it. But in my training with Dr. Seebecker, she says, you know, you can bring diet in at any point. You could bring it in before treatment, during treatment or at the end of the treatment when you're um, going through the prevention of relapse. So you, you've got the all clear and you're trying to prevent yourself from relapsing. That part is essential. So at the minimum, you have to be on a SIBO type diet by the end of your treatment. So I that's what I was doing. And I wanted to use Jacoby's one because it was a low histamine diet. It had structure and it is obviously one of the best. So I wanted to do that. But you don't have to do it that way round. Um, and normally you don't have to do such a fully restrictive diet at the end of the treatment. Normally that would be brought in earlier, but, um, because I am, cause I'm starting my, my diet later, I was doing the kind of most restrictive phase of Dr. Jacobi's protocol at the end of my treatment. So, you know, I'd done this two, two weeks of the biophasic in between, um, elemental diet phase round one and round two. And so I think what had happened is that my brain had just kind of hit a brick wall with basically I hadn't eaten any food in five weeks, but it was just interrupted for two weeks by, you know, in total, I did two weeks on the elemental diet and then I did three weeks on the elemental diet. And in between it was interrupted by a very restrictive diet the biphasic, the histamine biphasic diet. And I think a couple of things happened there. I had food in the house that I hadn't had for ages. Like the gifts that were bought for me were bulk gifts. They were big gifts. And I obviously didn't want to throw them out. And, um, I said to my boyfriend that he could also enjoy them, but they were in the house and I hadn't you know, eaten these things for a really long time. Um, and I'm, <laughs> I'm like, human and my body had my you know my body had been not eating solid foods for a long time so it was really like really difficult to stay away from them so that's kind of one 
And then secondly, you know, I told you guys that before that I've had um, trigger warning. I'm about to talk about eating disorders as well. You know, from 11 years old, I had like an 11 year, 11 year eating disorder. And my pattern back then was to starve and binge, starve and binge. And so even though this didn't trigger me like emotionally, I mean, I did find, you know, I found the first elemental diet really, really hard. And I find it, I found it hard staying away from food. I didn't feel like, oh, I'm going to fall back into like um, bad dieting habits. I, I didn't feel like that. But I think on a basic sort of neuro kind of my brain my brain recognized this as a pattern it knew and it and I had been doing it for a while you know I was at this point I was restrictive restricting for what I guess it was seven weeks and so my brain was like oh I know this pattern you restrict you binge you restrict you binge so it was almost like an autopilot that my brain was just like focused on like now we indulge now we indulge and the reason why I think that this pattern had been triggered is because I started going to the supermarket and buying foods that I haven't eaten in years, that I have no interest in eating, that I ate and I was like, that really wasn't very enjoyable. Not really sure why I did that. Um, it wasn't like I was like buying like, um, you know, four packs of cookies and eating them all. It wasn't like that. I was just going and buying like, a big chocolate bar that I would never have eaten before. Cause I just, I, you know, I know that my body doesn't work well on that much sugar, but if you look at like a, you know, those big like bars of chocolate that are what, like a hundred grams, those things have got like 50 grams of sugar in some of them higher. And I would never, ever eat something like that anymore. Um, because my taste buds have changed. It's too sweet for me. I know I react really badly to sugar with my endometriosis. I no longer desire it. It really messes with my blood sugar. I'm really, really happy with the um, sweet foods, the desserts and stuff that I have chosen over the past couple of years to manage my endometriosis. But the problem is, is those guys are no longer suitable for SIBO or histamine. So I'm kind of left. I don't have any options anymore in terms of those treats. And so... I, in front of me, it looked like I had a very, very, just very dull, more than dull, just really um, deprived couple of months on the biphasic diet. Because also even things that I could have tried to make something nice out of, um, like you can have coconut cream. I can't, I react really badly to coconut. I, I worked out the last time I had coconut, I ended up in A&E because it can sometimes trigger histamine issues. It's a little bit hit or miss. Um, so it's sort of like test it, see how you feel. And for me, it's not good. So the that, you know, I could have done a couple of things with and I, I couldn't. So what I would usually have like inulin syrup um, as my sweetener and that is... Um, terrible for SIBO. It's such a strong prebiotic. So dark chocolate, uh, sugar-free, 100% cacao dark chocolate I can't have because of the histamine levels. So, and normally, you know, what I would do 
prior to this is be like, well, I just have them, you know, every now and then at the weekend. So I still have that to look forward to. I know that if I have it in um, infrequent, smaller amounts, I'm not going to have like a really bad histamine attack. So that's kind of what I've been doing. But now there was no option to do that. So I think that I recognize the feelings of deprivation and I recognize the habits of like eating something that I didn't even really want um, and was totally out of character for me. I will not have something in the house if I know that it's not helpful to me and it's not like enjoyable to me and I don't feel like it's like, um, yeah, I just won't, I won't put myself in that position of trying to resist something if I don't want it and I know it's not good for, it's not good for my endo. That's not like in a deprived way. I have a ton of foods that I've been loving and enjoying and a ton of recipes that I've been loving and enjoying until now. So it wasn't like I was like, oh, I wish I could go out and buy like a, I don't know, a galaxy chocolate bar. I've never thought that. I've never felt that way. Um, But I guarantee if that was sitting in the house all the time, I would end up eating it. So, you know, that was, I think it triggered that pattern. I think also, like I said, I'd been in an unusual situation of having to go straight, go back on the elemental diet very quickly, which is not what you would normally do and what not what I would normally um, advise. I would never, ever, ever advise any of my clients to go back on the elemental diet so quickly. But I obviously I explained all of my reasonings in the last, epi- uh, last episode on this. You can go back to that if you want to hear why I did it and, and, um, why it happened, but I had no other choice. Basically there was no other treatment options available to me. Um, and obviously I'd done the biphasic in the middle because I thought that I would have had the all clear. So I had just gone through a lot of restriction and I talked about this with my doctor. Um, I've got a functional medicine doctor at the moment and my, and my counselor, uh, my therapist, and both of them were like, this is just completely normal. Uh, your body, you know, your body has just, is, is thinking that you're trying to starve it. So it's just trying to get you to eat really high calorie foods and high energy foods that are full of sugar and things like that. This is normal. And obviously caffeine as well, it spikes your blood sugar. So it brings your blood sugar levels up too. So anything that my body could do to get a boost of calories and energy and blood sugar, it, it was doing. Um, so that was kind of totally normal that my willpower just wasn't really kicking in. Then I had this, this kind of old pattern come back from, um, from the past and I wasn't distressed doing this. I was just like, come on, Jess, like get it together. Like let's get back on it. But also like I was equally, um, I wasn't like feeling really, really guilty. I was like enjoying, I was enjoying it. Like I kind of utilized it like, well, if I'm going to do this, let's like, let's go out for dinner because we hadn't been out for dinner in like God knows how long. Um, I actually think we went out to eat for the first time since last summer. Yeah. Since last summer. And even then that was only once. Um, and then on top of that, the day that I came off the elemental diet was the end of lockdown in the UK and everyone all over social media and I live in Margate and it's summer and all of the places open back up and they're all doing special menus and you know 
we were going for walks and I was seeing everyone just living their lives and being like, oh, everything's back to normal. And I wasn't back to normal. I didn't have the option to go and eat out normally, easily for up to three months, potentially, um, depending on what I found I could tolerate and didn't tolerate. But at a minimum, it was going to be a month. And really, it was going to be longer than that, because you're introducing a food, one food once a week or every couple of days. So by the time I was able to expand enough to be able to eat out freely, if that makes sense, because they're going to kind of put different a couple of different ingredients into the meals. Um, it was probably going to be like two to three months at least. You know, I could expand at home. I could be like, oh, I'm going to bring in green lentils this week. And that would make life a bit more exciting for me. But it didn't, it wouldn't have given me the freedom to eat out. And normally if you have SIBO, you could be more lenient with this, right? If you just had SIBO and you were at the end of your treatment round, you had it all clear, you could literally go out for a meal and just have a blowout meal. It's not going to cause you to relapse. Like one meal is not going to cause you to relapse every now and then. Um, Treats every now and then are not going to cause you to relapse at all. So don't worry about that. This this wouldn't be your situation. But for me, what the issue is, is that I have been living with histamine issues now for a really, really long time. Um, I mean, all my life, but they've been progressively getting worse. And as you know, they hit a real bad place in the past two years. Um, And I got really, really sick. And I think that my bladder pain is linked to my histamine issues. I knew I had to do a full-on histamine elimination diet. And obviously the low histamine biphasic diet is that. It's a histamine elimination diet and a SIBO diet combined. So in order for, when you do an elimination diet, you have to do it all. Like you have to be 100% because otherwise if you just have little bits of the food you're not supposed to be eating at that time every now and then, you're never actually going to be able to know what you're reacting to. The point of eliminate of an of an elimination diet is you do four weeks without any of your suspected trigger foods and um, common inflammatory foods and allergens. And that will, after 21 days, your immune response would have cleared and calmed down. Then you kind of give yourself another week to really let everything calm down. So that by that point, all your reactions should be at a base level. And then um, you introduce one food and you introduce it for three days and then you stop eating it for four days and you wait to see if you have any delayed reactions. If you have a reaction, you wait a whole seven days for that reaction to go and then you introduce a new food. And you consider that food as a food that you're currently reacting to and to keep out of your diet for the time being. Um, If you don't react, then you can bring that food in and then you add in a new food the next week. So that's kind of how you do an elimination diet. So I knew for me to fully test my histamine level, my kind of tolerance, that I needed to commit to this for three, three months. The prevention of relapse phase is three to six months, but essentially you're just you're, you're going to have to expand week by week until you're out of full diet again. So however long that was going to take me, but sort of the minimum was three months that it was going to take. So I knew 
that, you know, I wasn't going to be able to have a piece of dark chocolate for a long time. And I wasn't going to be able to have um, a cup of tea on a Sunday for a long time, like, or a decaf coffee. Like I couldn't even go, you know, I've said to you guys before, like I, I don't drink uh, caffeinated coffee. Um, I drink decaf coffees and I, I go out at the weekends and I have like a decaf flat white and I'm good. You know, that doesn't, um, affect my endo and I'll have like a caffeinated tea at the weekends, um, during my follicular and ovulatory phases. And then I don't have it near my, my period because I, I notice that it messes up. It, it gives me pain, but those two are not good for histamine. They're not good for the bladder either. So, um, I really needed to clear, you know, keep off those. So I just, you know, ahead of me, it didn't look very inviting. And I had just been, you know, really, I guess I'd just been like, oh, I've been, I've been putting so much effort in for so long. And then the elemental diet so close together, I just, just guess my brain just hit a bit of a brick wall. And then the other issue was now I anticipate that I'm probably going to lose some listeners for talking about this and I might get some upset emails. Um, so I apologize in advance, but please believe me when I say I had no other choice. You may remember that I did a low histamine, low oxalate diet in January 2020 uh, for my bladder and for my histamine issue, my other histamine issues. My bladder got worse during that time. Some of my histamine issues cleared up, but my bladder got much, much worse. Now, it wasn't a full low histamine diet. You can never be completely histamine free because it naturally builds up on food and bacteria. But it wasn't totally like low histamine because um, I'm, you know, I was vegan. So I was still eating beans and I was still eating nuts and seeds, some nuts and seeds. And so there were still histamine levels in my diet. Now, not all beans are um, high histamine, but some some are. Um, and the way that they're stored and dried and kept in cans and things like that, same with nuts and seeds. Some of them are like, it's the kind of way that they're stored and some of them are like they're naturally high histamine. So... I have been trying to get on top of my histamine issues and my bladder issues for, you know, 18 months. Um, I really hoped that the SIBO would have helped, the treatment would have helped with my bladder pain. It shifted a little bit, but not very much. You know, I've tried so many different strategies, but what I haven't tried is a kind of full low histamine diet where I'm removing the plant proteins that are, you know, histamine, um, kind of histamine liberators or high histamine foods, um, and certain nuts and seeds. And the, the SIBO, the low histamine SIBO biphasic diet is, it cuts out all nuts and seeds and all beans, all legumes, all plant protein, because it's either high histamine or it's a histamine liberator or it is not good for SIBO, which most most beans um, are high carb, so they and high fiber, so they feed the SIBO. So the low histamine biphasic diet is literally very very fresh meat and veg, um, and like two 
two portions of certain fruits a day. It's very, very restrictive. Hey guys, I'm just recording this sort of extra add-on to this episode at nine o'clock at night, um, just after I've done a group call. So my brain is a little bit fried, but I couldn't stop thinking about this. And I took down the podcast episode to add this in because I just thought that some people might misunderstand what I was saying or get um, confused. So um, in this podcast, I'm going to talk about meat and the reason why I've had to start eating it again temporarily as part of my SIBO protocol. And I'm not happy about it. I, I take, I'd tell you guys why, but I'm not happy about it on an ethical level. But in terms of endometriosis, um, I am eating more than I would like to, but it's temporary. But I'm not kind of worried. Um, I'm not worried that it's going to have a, a huge negative impact on my endometriosis. Um, now, I am going to do a separate episode on this at some point in the future. I was hoping to have some um, someone come on the show and they had agreed, but they've been really busy writing a book. So I don't, I've been waiting to do this episode until they came on, but I might have to do it on my own. Um, but, you know, if you read my articles, you read my book, or you've listened to some of the interviews, you, sh- you probably have heard me talk about this anyway. Um, but there is no one size all for one size fits all diet for endometriosis. The information around meat and endometriosis is a little bit confusing and misleading. Generally, what I say to my clients is if they want to eat meat, um, then um, small to moderate amounts um, is absolutely fine. Because what we know, um, providing it is organic and it is hormone-free um, and free-range because and, and ethically treated, because if animals have been treated um, really badly, then they're going to have, they're going to, Obviously, it's just horrible, full stop, but they're going to be more inflamed because of the stress. It releases stress chemicals, and then you would be consuming that, and that's going to raise your inflammation levels. But what we know from the um, research on diets that support uh, lowering inflammation and pain, um, like the Mediterranean diet is the most popular one, uh, sorry, the most heavily researched, but you've also got the paleo diet that's been well researched, um, is that these diets, the Mediterranean has a small to moderate amount of meat in it. Um, some some people are eating it just a couple of times a month. Some are eating it like once or twice a week in terms of red meat. Um, lots of fish though, um, and a little bit of poultry maybe once or twice a week. Paleo, there is more, there is more um, meat in it, um, but it's, it sort of, you know, it varies. Um, But generally, what we know from the research is that there is a strong association with red meat and endo risk. But, and this is a really, really big but, that the studies Firstly, they weren't. Um, they were observational, so they show association, association and trends rather than red meat definitively causes endo. And some of them were in the context of um, these women that they studied were also. Um, I can't remember the exact things that were happening. I think they were 
um, smoking and eating other unhealthy, like they were eating an unhealthy diet, basically factors that were raising inflammation in their bodies. So it wasn't in isolation. Um, secondly, there was no investigation into where the meat was from, whether it was processed red, processed meat. So processed meat has been shown to be the meat that undoubtedly we should all be avoiding. Um, so, you know, um, really processed sausages and really processed sandwich meats, meats that aren't really even real, um, you know, like they've been so heavily processed and turned into like lunchable snacks and things. Um, those are the ones that have been linked to lots of health issues. Um, but most experts agree that meat in um, moderate amounts, um, but leading with plant foods, always leading with fruit and vegetables, always making that the kind of star of your of your diet, um, and then having some organic, ethically raised, hormone-free animal sources is healthy and gives your body the nutrients it needs and can lower inflammation. Um, Now, the studies on red meat, um, they were very high levels of red meat that these people were eating additionally. So we didn't know what the red meat was. Was it they were eating McDonald's every day? Um, Were they eating factory farmed red meat, hormone packed red, red meat? Um, full of pesticides because we know pesticides have been linked to endometriosis we know hormones have been linked added hormones have been linked to endometriosis and hormonal um, issues and we know that conventional farmed meat where the animals are you know not well treated raise inflammation but on top of that um this uh these studies were so the study that found so the italian study found that those who ate red meat seven or more times on a weekly basis were 100% more likely to have endo than the ones who ate red meat three times or less a week. So that sort of correlates with the Mediterranean diet, which is the most researched, most anti-inflammatory researched um, diet, that it's, you know, they have red meat occasionally, um, usually once or twice a week or a couple of times a month. And that's kind of, if my clients want to eat meat that's kind of what we work around they can eat as much or as little as they want it's totally their choice this is just sort of the discussions we have and the information that I provide them with um secondly um the other one was women who are eating red meat twice or more a day um in comparison to those who are having one serving of red meat a week so again that correlates with the med diet, right? Like it's better to have like a little bit of, you know, a little bit of red meat. Now, um, I do talk about this a little bit in the episode, but there are nutrients in meat that can be really helpful for, well, firstly, it helps us to balance our blood sugar, um, but can be helpful for um, just energy and hormone balance. So, there are nutrients that are important in red meat. It doesn't mean you have to eat it um, because we do know that vegetarian and vegan diets are also incredibly anti-inflammatory. But what they have found in the research is that people who were eating red, sorry, people who were eating meat and people who were just vegetarian had the same 
I can't quite remember this study. I don't have it in front of me, but it was just as they were just as healthy. They had just they had the same inflammation levels. It was still they were both just as anti-inflammatory as the other. Um, but the kind of key thing was that they ate lots of vegetables, lots of plant foods. And that's what we know is kind of this, you know, we know vegetables are the star player when it comes to reducing inflammation. Um, so it's about if you are going to choose to eat meat, it's about your sourcing of the meat and how often you have it when it comes to endometriosis. And there is more to this discussion. Um, and I can give you more research and um, kind of give you more of my opinion and yeah, more of the research behind veggie diets and meat diets and how to do it safely and all of that. But I really wanted, but it's now 20 past nine at night. Um, and I just wanted to do a very short kind of little disclaimer to be like, I know that there is fear around meat and endometriosis. And I've talked about this a lot in the past um, about, you know, inflammatory sources of meat. So it's really about being mindful of if you are going to eat meat, are you eating inflammatory sources or anti-inflammatory sources and how often are you doing it? Um, so I hope that helps. And I hope that basically that disclaimer stops any kind of confusion. Um, and you know, hopefully I'll do an episode on this in more detail in the future. But if not, it's in articles, it's definitely in my Instagram TV on nutrition for endo, I talk about it there. And it's in my course. Um, obviously, if you work for me, work with me one on one, we go for it all. But it's in my book, I talk about the studies in the book. So you can kind of refer to like, all to those but I do want to do a deep dive in an episode at some point I'm just really hoping to get this guest on so yeah I just wanted to say that because I didn't want people to listen and be like wait but what about your endo now you're eating meat I am eating much more meat than I would normally like well I don't want to be eating meat full stop right but because that's just my ethical that's that's my preference I don't want to eat meat personally but if I had to eat meat I wouldn't be eating this much but it's a temporary thing um so which you understand when you get to it but I just wanted to kind of get, give you guys um a bit of a disclaimer to help you to understand that in more detail um cool okay I'll let you get back to the episode I knew at kind of the startish of this year that at some point when I come to the end of my treatment I was probably going to have to go on this because I'd tried to do, you know, I could do the vegetarian version of the biphasic diet, but then I'm still eating histamines. And I was just at this point where I was like, I've tried so many things for my bladder and I can't, I just can't keep living like this. I, I just cannot keep living with this bladder pain. And I believe that it's going to get better and I believe it's going to go and it's so much better than it was last January, but it is still not bearable to live with. And so I knew that at some point I was going to have to do this. So I had started um, kind of a couple months prior, I started like 
looking into it and testing, like um, trying to find companies and how I was going to do this the most ethically and really trying to get my head around it. And instead of kind of diving deep in with like meat, which I would have really, really struggled with having been vegan for seven years and then vegetarian for like, I don't know, 10 years and most of my life being vegetarian other than kind of a brief moment in my 20s and obviously as a child before um, I was allowed to be vegetarian, I I started with fish. Not that that was going to be allowed in the biphasic diet, but um, I just wanted to ease myself in and that felt the easiest for me. And the first couple of times I couldn't finish it and I couldn't barely swallow and it was not, it was not good. It was really hard, but I, I, at that time I was just like, can I do this? Right. I was dipping my toes into it. And then I did some research. I started to kind of get more used to it. I never, still don't, I've never enjoyed any of it. Um, but I can, I can tolerate it just. (laughs) Um, and then I did research. I did lots and lots of research and I kind of came to the conclusion that the most ethical thing that I could do would be to go for game. So wild meat, I hated the idea of it, but equally it felt better than going to a farm. So in the bi, so once I came to the biphasic diet, I had to make a decision about what meat I was going to eat because literally you are eating, there's, your diet is so restrictive to get any protein in, you you're, you have to have meat at every meal. There's no nuts in there. There's no option for pea protein. There's just, you know, um, no option for eggs. So I was like, okay, I need to choose some other forms. And I went for the most ethical farm I could find, organic, free range. I looked into all of their processes. I emailed them. Um, I saw their kind of like, uh, I can't remember what the word is called, but like their certificates for how ethical they are. I went to the best of the best that I could find in the country. Um, Cost me a bomb. And there was a part of me that wondered, am I going to eat this stuff and be like, oh my God, what have I been missing? I feel like I really needed this. My body really craved it. I'd suddenly taste it and be like, oh my God, yeah, I remember what this was like. No, none of that. I didn't enjoy it when I did it during those two weeks. I still don't enjoy it now I'm back on the biphasic. In fact, I'm finding it harder now. Like every day I'm eating the food, I'm just like, oh God. I'm making like the vegetables around it and everything as exciting as I can. But you know, you can't cook garlic. I can't cook with spices. I can't, I can't really flavor it much except with like fresh herbs, but there's not, you, I don't have many powerful flavors that I can mask the flavor with. Um, but I am making it as exciting as possible. And you know, I'm not, I'm just, I'm basically seeing this at this stage as the same as I saw the elemental diet. It's not pleasant, but it's necessary. This isn't pleasant. It's necessary. And I'm trying to remove, um, I'm just trying to see it as I have to do this right now. And so when I'm like eating my food, um, I try to make the, you know, I try to make it as pleasurable, pleasurable as possible, but I can't change the fact that I don't like the taste 
and I don't like the fact that I'm having to eat this. I have had to go through months and months and months of reckoning with myself for this and real, I haven't told anyone, you guys, I mean, I have in the sense of like my course students know, most of my clients know, um, but I haven't, and I've kind of mentioned bits and pieces, I think about eggs, not that I'm allowed to eat eggs right now, in the podcast, but now I'm fully on the biphasic. Um, and I haven't told my friends, um, I haven't told my family, I don't want to, I don't want to eat meat around people, it's not because people can eat meat around me, that's fine, I don't, if you eat meat, like you guys have heard me talk about this, there are nutrients in meat that are so, so important for our overall health, so when I go back to not eating meat, I'm going to just really, really just fine tune. I was already really good with this before, but I just want to make sure that I'm really absorbing the nutrients from plant protein because I, the problem was that I wasn't absorbing nutrients from plant protein prior to this because my gut was so compromised. And if your gut's compromised, it can be really hard to get certain nutrients from, from plant foods. Um, and on top of that, there are some nutrients like B12 um, or... DHA and EPA that are just impossible to get from plant foods. Uh, so you need to supplement, right, with either an algae supplement for the omegas, um, a B12 supplement. I was already doing all of that, but I was still I was still struggling to absorb things. So it's not that some, you know, I don't think that everyone should be vegan. I don't. I really, really don't. There are some people whose um their bodies are better suited to the nutrients that come from meat. Um, there are nutrients in meat that are important for hormonal health. There are just, you know, there are so many pieces to, there are so many arguments for both sides. I'm not, I'm not like everyone should be vegan um, or everyone should eat meat. I'm, I'm not on either kind of side of that. But my personal choice is I feel better ethically not eating meat. Obviously, my body doesn't quite, you know, my body didn't quite agree. It wanted, I think it did. I can't, I can't say that I felt a dramatic difference in terms of how I feel eating meat, to be honest, because I've been going through so many changes with the SIBO. So I really can't say, do I feel better or worse with me physically? I, I don't know. Honestly, I couldn't say. But it's a comfort to know that nutrients are there are nutrients that are more easily digested from meat as opposed to plant protein because I know for a fact from my testing that I wasn't breaking those foods down properly before. So this was the other thing. I knew that when I stopped, <laughs> like, you know, going on my wild, like eating foods, like eating whatever I wanted, that I would have to um, go on to this eating meat and I didn't, I didn't want to do it. Um, now just to be clear, I wasn't not eating a SIBO diet because I would have just relapsed. Like what's the point? I would have just, all of the money that I spent on SIBO in the past year would have been a waste. So I was doing low FODMAP. Basically what I was kind of doing is doing biphasic during the week. Cause I was like, I'm going to be back on it and going back on it. And I would manage it. I would manage it. And then I would end up 
eating low FODMAP at the weekend because I wanted to eat more foods or I wanted to eat out. Or I was doing the biphasic, pretty much doing the histamine biphasic, but then I would have a cup of tea. And that was really, that was really the pattern. That was a problem. I was managing to do the biphasic during the week. So I was on top of like the SIBO during the week, but I was having a cup of tea or, or, you know, two cups of teas a day. I couldn't get off it. So that was screwing up the histamine thing. So I was like, I have to keep, I have to start again. Like I'm going to have to start again and do it from scratch because this isn't a real elimination diet. And then by the time the weekend came, I'm like, well, I've had caffeine during the week anyway, so I might as well just, you know, have a low FODMAP brunch out. Just a reminder that this episode is sponsored by BU. These natural patches last for 12 hours, so they bring you prolonged relief and can begin working on relaxing your muscles before the pain kicks in, so you're prepared even if your period comes during the middle of the day. Some people even find that wearing them a night before their period can really help soothe the inflammation in the area. To shop, just head to link in my show notes. So that's pretty much what I was doing, but I wasn't making the healthiest choices. Like caffeine for me isn't, having it every day isn't a healthy choice. It's really not good for my histamine, my anxiety, my cortisol, my nervous system. It just sends me crazy. And I wasn't making the healthiest choices at the weekend for someone who is trying to recover from SIBO. In terms of like gut healing, um, not in terms of like, relapsing because I, I didn't really have there were a couple of times when I did have indulgences which is generally like that's generally allowed that kind of aren't low FODMAP like they're just not on the SIBO diet anywhere but um I didn't I wasn't doing that like frequently so I, I was still doing like SIBO friendly the majority of the time so that happened and this obviously was in the two weeks between the elemental diet and then I went on to rifaximin. But at the time, I was, I mean, I came off the elemental diet and I was like, I don't think it's gone because I was bloated. I like was straight, I was already bloated on the elemental diet. The next day I was straight away bloated. The bloating didn't go. And I wondered, like, have I caused myself to backslide by eating, like, low FODMAP rather than biphasic? And then, obviously, like I said, I had a couple of indulgences that, you know, weren't even low FODMAP. I thought, have, have I caused myself to relapse? But I, I also knew that I seemed to backslide quite quickly anyway between treatment rounds. And I also just thought maybe it's just straight up not gone because I know that I'm a tough case. So... I basically found a doctor just in the nick of time. It was a really, really weird scenario. But I found out that a membership that I'm a part of gives me free access to a sort of like a, um, oh, what do you call it? Um, a telehealth service where you speak to a GP, like, you know, on a video call. So um, I had free access to this. And this one was great. It's called Vala. And it has a functional medicine part of it. So I was like, oh my God, I have this for free. I need a doctor and I need to get, 
I need to try a rifaximin and neomycin because I haven't, you know, I haven't tried those and I, I'm still symptomatic. So, and I was obviously waiting for my test results to come back. So I was like, I need to get the, I need to get this in motion in case the, the test results come back positive. So um, I saw them and updated them and they were great because, so they're not fully like qualified in SIBO. They understand some of it, but they're not, they're not kind of fully qualified, um, but they know enough and they were happy to be guided by me. So I got the prescription that I needed for rifaximin and neomycin um, and they were happy to prescribe on the fact that I had four positive tests in the past and I was still symptomatic. So they were happy for me to start whilst we waited for my test results. So whilst I was doing the um, antibiotics, I also knew like, well, I, I can't relapse now because I'm on antibiotics. So I can still be more lenient with my food. So that didn't help. I got my test results back once I had started the treatment. And the test results were really really confusing and frustrating. So if your levels for methane and hydrogen are too low for them to be a positive on their own, then you can add up their kind of numbers at any point in a test. And if they exceed 15 parts per million, then that's a positive. Now mine reached 14 parts per million and my methane reached eight parts per million. Now with methane, it's nine parts per million, um, sorry, 10 parts per million is a flat out positive. Three to nine parts per million with constipation is a positive. Now, I didn't have constipation at this point. I was having diarrhea. But um, what Dr. Seebecker says is she feels for sure that eight parts per million is a positive for methane regardless whether you've got constipation or not, she's she's sure that eight parts per million is a positive from all of her experience. So I was like, okay, yes, like technically the, the guidance doesn't say that it's a positive, but I trust Dr. Seebecker. She would see that as a positive. So I see that as a positive. Now, even though I wasn't at 15 parts per million, 15 parts per million for the combination, I was at 14. It was very, very close and I was symptomatic. And so you don't, you basically don't look at SIBO test results black and white. It's an art form. You you take into account, into account the client's history, you take into account their symptoms and you make a kind of decision from there. And my decision was, I'm still positive. The methane is still positive in my eyes. I'm borderline positive with hydrogen. I'm going to keep going with this rifaximin and um, neomycin. Rifaximin, if you were just positive for hydrogen, you'd just use rifaximin. If you're positive for hydrogen and methane, you would do rifaximin and neomycin. So that's what I was doing. However, um, actually, I'm going to I'm going to say something else first. Um, I didn't react too well to the antibiotics. I had headaches, I had nausea, I had frequent loose stools and diarrhea, bloating, I didn't feel good at all. There was one day where I just was just crying all day, um, I just felt really unwell on them. And so the thing with the antibiotics is rifaximin is actually 
is actually great. It's it works um, just in your small intestine. It doesn't touch the happy, healthy microbiome in your large intestine. However, neomycin does, and so does the other antibiotic that you can use um, called metronidazole. And neo so neomycin wipes out your bacteria in your gut. So what happens when that is occurring is that your bacteria keeps yeast in check. So we all have a certain level of yeast in our gut, candida in our gut, and bacteria keep it in check. But if our bacterial levels drop, then the yeast can overgrow. And that's why it's really common to get thrush during antibiotics. Um, and obviously you can start getting gut dysbiosis, so gut imbalance um, symptoms from antibiotics because your gut microbiome is now really low. So you don't have this beneficial bacteria. So I think that's why I was getting this bloating and um, the diarrhea. Headaches are just a side effect. But then what happened was the company who, the pharmacy that were giving me the neomycin, they ran out. And they were like, we've only got this much. It's been discontinued. I don't know if this is a UK-wide thing, but me and my doctor hunted and we could not get hold of neomycin. And that's the standard. Metronidazole is like, if you can't get neomycin, use metronidazole. So we had to transfer me onto metronidazole. Um, and because this doctor isn't, um, as I said, she's not a SIBO specialist, she was like, just start the metronidazole course again from scratch. So do it for 14 days. But in my mind, I was like, well, I've already done five days of neomycin. So really, shouldn't I just be doing like the rest, like treat it as one course, treat it as I just do nine more days of metronidazole um, to make make up for the lack of neomycin. But she she told me to continue. But I started, so metronidazole is really powerful. That is a real, like that will wipe up, wipe out all of the my, um, positive bacteria throughout the whole of your body. And rifaximin, the good thing about rifaximin is it it tends to lessen those effects. So it tends to lessen the chances of candida overgrowth. It lessens, it kind of buffers some of the effects of neomycin or metronidazole. So I was quite concerned about basically fin finishing my rifaximin before the metronidazole. Um, and once I was on the metronidazole, I started to get candida symptoms. I started to get thrush. Um, I started to get more bloating. My mouth felt funny. Like I started to have like furry teeth. Like it just seemed like I was getting a bit of like a yeast overgrowth maybe on my tongue. I had headaches. I just felt awful. So I spoke to my doctor and I was like, look, I really don't think I should be going on to this refactor going on with this metronidazole without the rifaximin because I feel bad enough as it is. And I was already taking Saccharomyces boulardii, to, which is a yeast probiotic that helps to keep candida in check. It's one, it's one of the things that help it does. And it wasn't enough. So I was like, I just don't think I should be going beyond this. I'm really having right, quite bad reactions. And I'm starting to think that maybe I've got CFO, which is small intestine fungal overgrowth. And what's so what CFO is, is it's very, very common with SIBO. And instead of it being a bacterial overgrowth in your small intestine, it's a 
fungal overgrowth and yeast is a fungus. So really the most common fungus that we find overgrowing in SIBO is candida. Now it can be very, very hard to detect because we don't have a test for it. We don't have a test for it in the small intestines. We do have a test for candida and fungus in the large intestine, but it's, it often comes up as negative because they hide in biofilms. And I've talked about this to you guys before. Biofilms are where they're like sort of these mucosal layers that cover the bacteria or the fungus and protects them from treatment and from being um, identified in tests. So I've had a GI map and I've had an organic acids test and I came up negative for candida, but I wasn't using an antibiofilm when I did these tests. So it could have been that they just weren't, they weren't picked up on. It could have been that the candida only turned up because of the antibiotics and I never had it in the first place. But what I noticed is this bloating turned up when I was doing the elemental diet, which is a simple sugar diet and candida like sugar. Now there is some argument about that. So some doctors are like, no, the elemental diet is not going to negative, is not going to like feed candida because it gets absorbed too quickly. And actually they use it as a treatment for killing candida because it starves the candida. But Dr. Alison Seebecker warns that it can worsen it. She's seen it happen to some people. So I'm like, hmm, okay. I started getting really bloated on the second round of the elemental diet. Then I went on to low FODMAP diet and I was more lax with sugar and um, fruits and yeah, just, you know, things like that. And, and I had alcohol at one point, um, really random situation. I don't, like you, I said to you guys before, I don't, I don't really drink. I haven't, I haven't had a drink this year. I don't think at all, except for this, this time. And basically me and my boyfriend saw this, um, Prosecco advertised at one of our local pubs on Instagram and it looked really, really nice. And then we saw it on a cardo and we were like, oh, one day we'll try it. And then I swear to God, guys, that week in our Ocado shop, it turned up. And Chris, I was like, I think I was doing a call with someone. I, I don't know what I was doing. Maybe I was with my therapist. And Chris unpacked the shop in. And then later that day, I opened the fridge and I was like, did you buy the wine? The Prosecco? And he was like, no, I thought you did. I was like, no. And we looked at our receipt. It wasn't on the receipt. It wasn't on our order. Literally, there was no record of us ordering this Prosecco. It didn't come out of my account on the bill. Um, and Ocado didn't contact us to say we made a mistake. So we waited a couple of days, or I think we waited the week. Um, and then... Um, we, so we were like, okay, well, we're going to try it. Um, so I think I had two glasses of that. And on a low FODMAP diet, you can have one. So like I had another glass. That's like the indulgence, right? That's kind of like the going outside of the SIBO um, kind of friendly diets that they say you can do occasionally. I had the worst bloating I think I've had in years from that. And SIBO... And I know that candida loves like alcohol and high sugar alcohols and things. So that kind of made me wonder. But what's interesting is I don't have a history of um, 
I don't have a history of thrush. I've had thrush about three times in my life, including that includes the time that I got it during the antibiotics. But I did once have oral thrush cleared up in like a day with treatment. But I've always had like a white film on my tongue, always, always, always. But I've always been told it's nothing to worry about. Um, and it doesn't always indicate candida, right? It's that like that's a myth. It doesn't, if you have a white tongue, that doesn't indicate candida, but it's a possibility. Um, but you know, I'm like, hmm, every time I've done the elemental diet, I've started to get like a fairy, like fairy mouth. I mean, just it feels like your teeth unclean when I see fairy mouth, right? It feels like they've got plaque on them. I started to get like a really white film. And so I just kind of wondered, like, maybe I do have like a biofilm of candida, like in my small intestine that's been hidden. And the antibiotics have basically like really woken it up. And now I'm getting all of these symptoms. And do I really want to make it worse by being on metronidazole on its own without rifaximin kind of um, buffering the effects? So I spoke to my doctor and she was like, she actually spoke to her colleague who is a CBO specialist and they were like, yeah, she doesn't need to do any extra metronidazole, just, just end it. So I ended it, did my test and then I did, I was waiting to get a good pro, prokinetic from my doctor. So I did a couple of days on LDN and ginger prokinetic and did all of the prevention of relapse that you're supposed to do which I'll take you through. But I was like, um, I gave myself a couple more days on low FODMAP. And I was like, right, when the prokinetic comes, I'm going to just the good prokinetic. That's it. I'm just going to like commit to the low histamine biphasic. I'm just going to do this because in the long run, it was, it's not healthy for me to be skipping between. I just need to get through the most restrictive part. Otherwise I'm just prolonging the most restrictive part and just littering it with like these little like not so healthy indulgences which is not good for my body but um so then the weekend came and I got this insane leg pain in the middle of the night in my hip and my back down the front of my leg into my knee on my left leg and by the next morning I couldn't sleep it was excruciating it felt like when I broke my hip and my back in my car accident and the next day, I got a rash on the same leg in the, on the, in the thigh, and it kind of followed the root of my pain. And I was like, okay, I guess I've got a heat rash or hives. I've never had hives before, but, you know, histamine, maybe that's what it is. Um, and I guess I've, like, injured my hip because I've been doing a lot of weightlifting recently. So I, I gave it a couple of days. I was trying to stretch. I thought the rash would go down. It got worse. It was really, really weird rash. It was like blistering. Um, and I saw a physio and they were like, it's hip bursitis, blah, blah, blah. So they gave me exercises. Seven days, eight days later, everything was worse and I hadn't slept. I'd bet I was getting two to four hours sleep a night. The pain was excruciating. Um, and I had to appointment with my doctor and she was like this is shingles and shingles is basically the chicken pox virus and it lies dormant and then if your immune system weakens then it comes back out as shingles once you're an adult I had chicken pox when I was one so I actually had chicken pox at the same time that I had gastroenteritis when I developed my SIBO right 
I've always said that I think my SIBO developed from the gastroenteritis that I was hospitalized with when I was one. Um, and I had chickenpox there. So I'm 32. So for 31 years, the chickenpox virus has been dormant in my body until now. So to me, this was really quite scary. I was like, my immune system's dropped this low that I've now got shingles, even though I've been living with it for 31 years. So what we've put it down to is that the antibiotics just wiped out my microbiome. And my doctor felt that the symptoms that I'm having of the bloating and the diarrhea is, is gut dysbiosis. So my microbiome, my friendly gut bacteria basically being too low and out of whack and balanced. She isn't like, I don't think she has like a strong opinion on whether it's CIFO or not, but I am starting to think more and more that it's CIFO. And so she put me on antivirals because you need to be on antivirals, otherwise you can get permanent nerve damage. Um, unfortunately, I should have been on them within 72 hours of it occurring, but I didn't know that I had shingles. And what's so, so interesting is, as I said, it felt like I'd, I was in my car accident again. It felt like I was literally lying in the hospital bed. And what we think it is, is that my nerve, like it's hit the weakest nerve. So maybe there was a nerve that was damaged during my car accident. And so it's gone to that nerve because basically shingles um, attacks your nerves and it usually turns up along one nerve pathway. And so it seems to have gone for my weakest nerve, the nerve that was damaged during my car accident. And that's why it felt the same. Crazy, crazy. Um, but it was really, really shocking to me that my immune system had dropped that low from the antibiotics. So it just kicked me into gear. By this point, my strong prokinetic had arrived and I was like, okay, my body really needs to get through this most restrictive phase so I can expand and eat as many different types of vegetables and fruit as possible. Um, I've been eating like sugar, a lot of sugar that, well, not a lot of sugar, but more sugar than I would ever normally eat more than I would have eaten in the past couple of years. And that weakens the immune system. I really don't think that's what would have done it on its own because come on, like, you know, if that was the case and every Christmas, everyone would probably have shingles. But I think combined with the, uh, I, I don't think it helped basically. Um, I think the antibiotics did the damage, but I don't think that helped. I just, I needed to get off that, you know, um, kind of just, I needed to just get through the most restrictive part so I could expand and really give my body what it needed. So um, my my doctor was totally happy with me doing that. She was like, look, don't beat yourself up. Like it's totally normal that you've kind of eaten some of these things. It's really not a problem. But um, yeah, I agree. Go back up to biphasic. So that gave just gave me the momentum. So I'm now two weeks back into the biphasic. Um this is my second week. So I've, I mean, I've got three more weeks before I can expand and I'm just following the, the prevention of relapse um, protocols that I have taken you guys through in the SIBO episodes. If you're not sure what they are, listen to my episodes with Dr. Alison Seebecker where we talk you through it. But essentially it's taking a really strong prokinetic that um, supports your migrating motor complex to work overnight. So that clears the bacteria out of your small intestine into your large intestine. Um, it's doing a diet, which I'm doing, and meal spacing. 
So that's leaving four meal, four hours between each meal to allow the migrator motor complex to work between meals and a 12 hour fast overnight. So that's what I'm doing. And those are your free core prevention of relapse strategies. And then on top of that, there is digestion support. So stomach acids, so you're taking hydrochloric acid um, and digestive enzymes because that helps to kill off bacteria entering the gut. Um, stress management because stress management slows down the migrating motor complex and slows down digestion and weakens digestion. So that can um, cause a relapse. So um, I'm doing a lot around that. I'll, I'll talk to you guys about that in a minute. Body work. So like massage, visceral manipulation, like I said, to basically help with any adhesions um, and help to stimulate the movement in the digestion, uh, in the digestive tract. Um, and vagus nerve support. So basically healing the nerve that runs from the base of your neck down your spine and that partially controls your digestion. And when that gets damaged, that can um, cause you to get SIBO or relapse. So that's what I'm doing now. And I got a great prokinetic um, you guys have heard me cycling through all of the prokinetics and I just tried all of the natural ones. I tried LDN. I had really bad nightmares from LDN and nausea. That's called, that's low dose naltrexone. I just couldn't get on with it. I tried it and tried it and tried it. So I'm now on the pharmaceutical one and the best one for SIBO and it's called Procalipride. And the reason why I chose that one over erythromycin, which is the other option, is because procalipride is actually a nerve healer. And the migrator motor complex is controlled by nerves and it is damaged from gastroenteritis or food poisoning um, because your body makes these antibodies to attack the food poisoning bacteria but it accidentally attacks your migrating motor complex nerves and damages them. That's why food poisoning and gastroenteritis is the number one cause of SIBO because it damages the migrating motor complex. And so you can't really ever fully recover from that, but you can improve it. And so Procalipride helps to do that. So I am certain that the kind of large, I, I feel like there are there are quite a lot of different factors that contributed to my SIBO, but the start of my SIBO, it began, you know, when I was a baby with gastroenteritis. So, and I know from my test results, I can see how slow my migrating motor complex is, how slow my gut motility is. So, um, that is, I can get a test. I can actually, you can get this tested. Um, I can't remember the test name. I'll put it in the, um, show notes, but you can get this test and it will tell you if you've got the antibodies, but they may not be present anymore because I had it when I was one. And also it's an expensive test and I've been paying so much for treatment, but I'm going to get the test soon. But I, I just assumed I had it anyway. So I just didn't make it a priority because I've had so much to pay for with the treatment. So I'm taking Procalipride to repair my migrating motor complex. Um, and I'm also taking lion's mane because that's a nerve healer to repair my migrating motor complex. I am going to try LDN again, but not as a prokinetic, but basically as an um, to help heal my immune system because it's really great for balancing the immune system if you have 
autoimmune disease or autoimmune damages. And because the nerve damage to the migrating motor complex is caused by the immune system, it can help to repair that. I'm also taking immunoglobulins. So you heard me talk about IgA before, secretory IgA. That is um, an immune cell that lines, it's like a mucosal cell that lines the intestines. That is one of your first line of defense against um, pathogens, against baddies. Mine is super, super low. It's like almost non-existent. Um, so I am taking that um, at the moment, um, taking immunoglobulins to replenish that because that will help with my recovery, but also it helps to calm the immune system down. And that in turn, that can reduce those antibodies that are attacking the migrating motor complex. So I'm trying to kind of get to that root cause with those methods. I am doing Arvigo massage every night to stimulate my migrating motor complex and to stimulate my vagus nerve. I am doing tapping every day. So that's emotional freedom technique where you tap on different points of your body. Um, and that's to help to stimulate my vagus nerve, but also to calm my stress response so that my, my gut health, my gut works properly. I am um, doing a leaky gut protocol to heal my gut lining. So my gut repairs that will help as well with my recovery. And I'm actually starting today um, a hypnotherapy program for IBS called Nerva, which has been shown to be just as effective as a low FODMAP diet and more effective than traditional IBS um, symptoms because it works on the, the gut-brain connection because your brain may be in part responsible for the reactions you're having in your gut because basically your nervous system has just become hypersensitive and it's overreacting to normal signals in your gut. So if you're quite a stressed or anxious person, this is, I mean, for anyone, it's a great, it's a great support. Um, and I do think that some of my reactions are, it's kind of learnt, it's automatic learnt behaviour from having IBS since I was, you know, one. So I'm going to do this to help to kind of improve that gut brain connection, improve the symptoms, improve the functioning of my gut, make sure the migrating motor complex is kicking in. And then... I need to decide whether I'm going to treat for SIFO or hydrogen sulfide SIBO because I got my test results back and they are negative, but they could also be a flat line. And a flat line is what we get in some cases with hydrogen sulfide. And a flat line is identified as hydrogen being less than six and methane being less than three. And that is the case with my results. There is no rise in the third hour in hydrogen in the large intestine, which is what we would expect. Now, it could totally be because the antibiotics wiped out my gut microbiome because the test result that I was waiting for, you know, during my antibiotics that came back, the highest point in my hydrogen was in my large intestine. So at the time, I did have a normal level of hydrogen in my intestine. Well, I didn't have a normal level. It was quite low, but it was there. But um, this time, there was, you know, there's no rise at all. And you should naturally have a rise in high, with high, of hydrogen in the third hour um, because you have 
bacteria in your large intestine that naturally make hydrogen. That's normal. Now, what happens is with hydrogen sulfide, SIBO, is that hydrogen sulfide, those bacteria, they use methane and they use hydrogen to make hydrogen sulfide. So they take the hydrogen and the methane that's being produced by the SIBO and they turn it into hydrogen sulfide. And often what can happen is you go through your treatment for hydrogen methane um, and then once you've done that, you suddenly see a flat line and that's because you've cleared the hydrogen and the methane and now you can see that any hydrogen that's in your large intestine is being used up to make hydrogen sulfide. So there's just a flat line, there's no rise, um, which is what we would expect. But it could be because the microbiome has just been wiped out. And I've seen that before as well. Like after the elemental diet or after antibiotics, some people's microbiomes are just wiped out and we need to replenish them again. Um, or they need, you know, maybe it just needs a couple of days to start getting the hydrogen levels back to normal um, because this was done, you know, two days after the antibiotics. So I'm not sure if it's true flatline or if it's a true negative. And I'm speaking to some of my colleagues about it. My feeling is, is that it's CFO because I did have a rise in the third hour prior to the antibiotics. I then reacted quite badly to the antibiotics and it seemed like they really wiped my system. I then got shingles. It does seem like my microbiome was just taken out. And so I think that it is a true negative. Um, I hope that it's a true negative. I don't have I really don't have many of the hydrogen sulfide symptoms anymore. I do still have the bladder pain, but it could be that there's something else causing the bladder pain. CFO, all of the symptoms are identical to SIBO. So that would explain why I still have symptoms, this bloating and diarrhea. Obviously, I do think it's dysbiosis as well, gut dysbiosis, gut imbalance. But what I can do is to be sure... I mean, this you can't test for SIFO. You can't do a, a test for SIFO. You can't test in the small intestine for fungus. But I can do another organic acid, organics, organic acids test or a GI map. But what I would need to do prior to that to make sure I try, I pick it up is to take an antibiofilm for a while and then do the test to basically break up that biofilm so candida is released or the fungus is released in my urine or in my stool so I can pick it up in the test. I just, I need to get the money together to do that. They are not cheap tests. Um, so that's something that I can do. Um, but I really need to move on to treatment pretty quickly. Obviously I can't, I'm currently on antivirals, so I can't take anything right now. So I'm just doing the prevention of relapse. Um, and also, it's quite hard to determine, is all are my symptoms true symptoms of CFO or SIBO, or are they just side effects? Because the side effects of the antiviral that I'm on is diarrhea and stomach upset. When you get shingles, you often get stomach upset and diarrhea. When you take antibiotics, you get diarrhea and stomach upset. I've had all of this since I've been on these things. Yes, the bloating kicked in when I was on the elemental diet, but that could have been the magnesium citrate. Um, I had bloating during the two weeks 
before I was on rifaximin metronidazole, but I was also eating like low FODMAP foods. I had the alcohol during that time. Um, I could have just been feeding like an unhappy microbiome. So I, I don't know, are these true symptoms? The only way that I can really tell is to get to the other side of this antiviral and start replenishing my gut, which is another thing that I'm doing as part of my prevention of relapse. I'm replenishing my gut microbiome. Um, I started bringing stuff in already whilst I was doing my treatment. So L-Plantarum 299V, Saccharomyces boulardii, um, omega-3 fatty acids. And now I'm just going to be bringing in more of those as time goes on and replenishing that microbiome. Because I do have gut dysbiosis from my GI map. I do know that. Um, so that's not unusual. It could be more severe now. So I'm probably going to move on to CFO treatment unless my colleagues come back and they and they feel really strongly that it's hydrogen sulfide. But I'm not that comfortable with pounding my body with more SIBO treatment um, when I've been treating since last October. Um, I'm, you know, it's, I'm a treating SIBO takes a while, but this is like, I I come under a tough case basically, which of course I do. I mean, I've had it since I was one and I've got multiple layers as to why I have it. So it makes sense. And so I think I'm probably just going to go into SIFO treatment after I finish the antivirals, continue with the biphasic, expand as soon as I can. In three weeks, I'm going to start expanding as rapidly as I can, do the nervous six-week program, continue with all of my prevention of relapse whilst doing the um, CFO treatment. And then, you know, in a month or two, I'll test for candida and fungus, but it's not going to give me an accurate picture as to whether it's in my small intestine or large intestine, but at least I get a little bit of an idea and then I'll review. And also it could just be, you know, that it was side effects and I wiped out my microbiome. So in two to three months, once I've replenished my microbiome a bit more and I'm away from all of these treatments in terms of like the pharmaceutical drugs, I might not have these symptoms anymore. But so what I will say is I'm no longer gassy. I'm, I rarely burp now. Um, I mean, I am burping a bit, but it's not as bad as it was. I'm not having any of the histamine issues I was having in terms of heart pain, palpitation, anxiety, struggling to breathe, dizziness. My allergies are much, much better. Those improvements have been dramatic, but I still have loose stools um, and it's worse than it was. I'd I had kind of got it under control. Like it was there, but it was manageable. Now it's like really frequent, really urgent, multiple times a day. The bloating when it's present is I feel like it's worse and also my almost my tolerance has gone down. Like I'm just, if I, I seem to not bloat if I'm on the biphasic, but if I eat low FODMAP, I bloat. Like I, I feel like I, I can't expand out of the biphasic, but I will because you need to, you can't stay on it long term. So that's interesting. My tolerance has gone down and my bladder is the same really. Um, so that's a whole other kind of conversation for another time. But there is a test that I've been wanting to get, which was only in America. It's now been brought out into the UK, which I'm so happy about. And that is a really advanced test for testing for infections and hidden biofilms in the bladder. So when I've done kind of the antibiofilm 
protocol and I've broken the biofilms up, I'll do that test with the GI map and the organic acids test. But really I'm looking at like all together, I'm looking at like, I don't know, 800 pounds. So I don't know when I'm going to be able to afford to do that. And then I'm going to see if there's a, there's a kind of deep hidden infection in my bladder. So that's kind of where I am. I've had improvements in some symptoms, worsening in other symptoms, negative tests, very exciting, but may small chance it's a flatline, likely that I have SIBO, SIFO, because SIFO is super, super common with SIBO. It's really, really common, but we all often only identify it once the SIBO has been treated. So this is a really common, this is like very common to get the all clear for your SIBO, but then you still have symptoms and it's like, ah, okay, SIFO is here. Let's add in a couple things, you know, a couple more treatment rounds for that. So I think that's where I am. I'm going to be having, um, I don't need to talk to a doctor, but I like having a doctor to prescribe me like things if I need to get pharmaceuticals because I can't prescribe them myself. And it's nice to have someone to bounce off rather than just try and treat myself on my own. So I'm going to run it past her, see what she thinks, see what my colleagues say, um, and then take it from there. But I mean, you know, at the minimum, the hydrogen and the methane, they're dead. They are dead and gone, and it feels really, really good. For the first time in my life, well, first time since I've been one, you know, since I was one years old, I'm methane and hydrogen free, super wise. And that just feels really, really remarkable. And there was a time when I was like, oh my God, I don't know if I'm going to be able to, I don't know if it's going to clear. I don't know if I'm going to, I just don't know if it's going to clear. It's really tough to shift. And I've done it. Doesn't mean I'm not going to relapse um, because relapse is really common in two thirds of people. And I will also say that I am investigating whether I have Ellis Danlos syndrome, which can cause people to continuously relapse. But I have to get insurance to get that checked because I just don't have very good doctors around here. So, that's in process as well. So if it turns out that, you know, um, I do have the antibody that attacks the migrator motor complex and I do have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, then I might continue to relapse across my lifetime, but I will be able to control it and it will be manageable and I will be able to live well with it. And I should be able to nip it in the bud pretty quickly. Um, so I just need to get to the roots of those, find out, you know, what, you know, find out for sure what my risk factors are for relapsing, try and make them as manageable and as treatable as possible. And in the meantime, yeah, get to get to the bottom of this CFO bloating diarrhea mystery and continue to heal and re rebuild my microbiome. So I hope that was helpful. It was a lot, I know. Um, I wanted to be really, really honest with my struggles because I want you to know that I'm not perfect and it's okay if you slip up. It's not really slipping up. Like I said, you're not going to relapse from a couple of indulgences here and there, but my issue was that I was supposed to be on a, like a full elimination diet. So that was a struggle. Um, and the other thing that I want to say is it really wouldn't normally be this hard. Um, I seem to get like really hard personal experiences so that I can learn from them and share them with you. <laughs> I think that's just my lot in life. So I've just had a tough personal case. All of my clients' cases have seemed to be simpler than this. 
And mine has been com- more complicated with a history of an eating disorder and um, having to do the elemental diet so closely together, which normally you wouldn't do. Again, have a listen to my episode on that if you're wondering why I did it. And also the histamine has made it more complicated. So normally it wouldn't be this complicated. Um, but, you know, you've heard my honest scenario. I hope that's helped you taking the pressure off a little bit, maybe. And also, yeah, it should be, it should be easier for you, but I hope this has given you some insight. I'll keep you updated on the CFO journey, um, when I kind of know what my next steps are. So that's it. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about what I do or read more on endometriosis and living well with it, um, you can head to my Instagram page, which is this underscore endolife. Um, you can head to my website, which is www.thisendolife.com. And you can also get um, a free guide to managing endometriosis naturally on my website. Um, I've put the link in my show notes. It's a beginner's guide to getting started and all of the areas that I um, have worked on to help reduce my endometriosis symptoms and pain and live well with endometriosis. As always, if you like this show, please rate, review and or subscribe. It really, truly does help others to hear the podcast and hopefully will help them to live better with endometriosis. This episode was produced by The Pod Farm. Whether you're an established podcaster or just getting started, visit thepodfarm.com to see how they can help you go from an idea to a finished show that's ready to be heard by the world. Music.